So if you would, turn your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And we're going to start there. Thank you, man. Don't we got a great worship team? I'm telling you, man, I, I like getting in front of them because they make me look good. Y'all have Ephesians chapter 3. It says, For now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power to work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. What a scripture. To accomplish more than we might ask or think. Not just more. I like what it says. To accomplish infinitely. Now, infinitely is a very intriguing word. Uh, you know, I, I don't know the exact definition, but it's a lot. Amen? More than we can imagine. Father, I ask that you would help us to understand and, and trust you. Holy Spirit, I address you because you, you are the one who can enter into the heart of and the minds of your people. You, you are the one who lead and guide us. Though we lift up the name of Jesus and draw him in, we clearly understand that it is you, Holy Spirit, that we need to, to rest upon, to ask for, for counsel, for you are the counselor. So I pray right now that you would touch each heart, each mind, minister to them, convict if needed. Lord, but above all, we do all this, and I ask that you would bring multitude of blessings into their lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. What do you think the difference between success and failure is? Because everybody wants to be a success. And I will tell you this, successful people do not have less challenging lives than those who do not succeed. Successful people often go through even greater things than those who do not succeed. Than failures, you can say. I, I, I shared this years ago. At age 22, this man failed in business. At age 23, he ran for state legislator and was elected, or rather was defeated at 23. At 24, he tried to start another business a second time, and he failed. But at 25, he ran again for state legislator, and he won. At 26, he was engaged to be married, but she died. At 27, this man had a nervous breakdown, was in the hospital. At 28, he was defeated at House Speaker in the legislator. At 31, he was defeated again as an elector. At 34, he was defeated for Congress. At 46, he was defeated for Senate. At 47, he was defeated for vice president. At the age of 49, he was defeated again for Senate. At the age of 51, he was elected president of the United States, Abraham Lincoln. See, successful people always fail. They just respond differently. They, they, they face difficulties in a different manner than most people. See, when things are going good, well, you know, when all is well, you're not mad at your honey, you got lots of money, everything's cool, money in the bank, children are getting good grades, 
Your new boss finds favor with you. Hallelujah. Right? In life, in life, it is easy to be happy when things are going our way. Right? Everything's cool. Everything's going our way. Everything's good. Everything is beautiful in its own way. Right? But when things are not so good, in life, you're going to have pressure. How do you respond under pressure? What do you do when you have a confrontation with somebody? Or how do you respond in an argument? Say, a healthy inner eye, uh, after uh, I'm what I'm talking about, referring to himself, a healthy inner eye, referring to yourself in the light of, of Jesus and, and men, if you look at yourself, you begin to look at life in a completely different way. Jesus says that the eye is responsible for receiving light in the body. The eye. Now, we're not, we're talking... Physical, but Jesus goes beyond the physical eye. He said, this thing that we look at is responsible for allowing eye to come in, to light to come in. Light means knowledge, not just the light. Light means understanding. Light means comprehension. So how you see things, that's what we're talking about, failure and success. How you see things determines what comes in. If your eye is bad, right? Then, something, then everything else is bad. If the eye is diseased, it will prevent light from coming in. Perverted light so that you cannot see things as they are if the eye is diseased. So the enemy is always trying to pervert what you see. In other words, put a twist on. You ever meet somebody that every, they always see the negative in everything? Because right, you can't, you look at them, you say, how did that happen? Somewhere along the line, something happened to cause them to have a perverted view of things, and everything that he sees, there's always a negative to it. You know those people I'm talking about? I've said that kind of a person who won a million dollars in the lottery would complain about paying $300,000 in taxes. Why? Because the, the, the way they're looking at things, they're not looking at the good. In extreme cases, the eye does not see the light at all. We call that being blind. See, if the eye is put out, if the eye, oh, lost myself. If the eye is put out, how profound is your darkness? See, if what you think you see is understanding and it's not, then how profound is your darkness? So that's what we live in today. You have people, you know, they're, they're, they think what they're seeing is, is true. I mean, they're arguing about what type of bathroom they should use. And so we're dealing with this type of mentality. That's how they see things. And for you to argue against their truth, their perceived light. That's why you can't win an argument. If it is obscured or distorted, you know, how radical or misleading are some of the airs? I used to have wear, wear glasses. And I was blind. In the morning, if I didn't have my glasses on, uh, I looked around, if I tried to pick up my glasses, if I, if I didn't find my glasses, even Ray Lovett looked good. <laughs> Sorry, Ray, you're right. right but when I put those glasses on, ah, reality hit me, amen? Because I needed those glasses. Now I have, now I have surgery, right? So, and I can see. So if your, your vision is distorted, right, you can't see things well. You're nearsighted or farsighted. You know what I'm talking about? See, it is of the utmost importance that we should keep this organ, our light, our eye, clear and receive because it receives and imparts light to the body, the eye. Again, I, although it's true for the physical eye, I am talking about the, the intent of your heart, what you see, how you understand things, 
how you look at things, right? See, the light of all our seeing, the light of all our working, the light of all our progress. Luke chapter 11, let's read there. And it reads, no one lights a lamp and puts it in place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are good, your whole body is full of light. But when they are bad, your body is also full of darkness. Verse 35 of that same chapter. So then, uh, see to it that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be completely lighted as when the light of the lamp shines on you. So the, the object of this spiritual warfare, the battle of the ages, is to confuse how you perceive things, to distort your light, to convince you, in fact, that the light you think you see, although it be dark, is light. That's the name of the game. That's what the enemy is doing every single day, being with your, your relationships, being with what you see on TV. That's his plan. See, the spiritual application of this passage is that a healthy, trained, unprejudiced understanding is required for good light, for light to be good. The health and power of one's understanding by which we receive truth depends mainly on establishing the right attitude, how you take things in. Look, we know everything's not going well, but you have to have the right attitude. Otherwise, your first step into darkness, everything's happening and you have a bad attitude, now everything you comes in, whatever it is, truth or lie or fable or reality, whatever comes in changes its shape by your bad attitude could now come into you. And that becomes a part of you. You think that's how it is. Why? Because I, I know and I learned and I'm this and I'm that and this. And not understanding that, did you have a bad attitude when you received what you think was truth? Were you angry? Were you prejudiced? Did you feel cheated? There's a lot of things that are, are geared to disrupt what you understand. Hmm? See, the world and its pressure works overtime to distort your eyes, trying to pervert the hearing and, and shifting of God's word. Different type of, oh, I think this scripture means this, and I think this scripture means that. Listen, there's only one meaning to the scripture. The problem is everybody thinks they have their own. They reinterpret based on their understanding of Scripture. And some is harmless, but some is not. It's for instance, we look, I'll get real quickly, the particle sun, we look at the particle sun from the Western eye. I'm talking about the Western mind. And we see the particle sun, how can he do this? And he goes out and he spends all the Father's cash and everything, right? And because we're looking at him from the Western mindset, we feel this guy, man, is, is guilty. Guilty. Why? Because we're Americans, we're Westerners, we believe in the law. Guilt and innocent, guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty, he's guilty. And then he has to come back to the Lord and plead for, for forgiveness. Now he's innocent, right? Because God. But that's not how it was written. The rest of the world who lives under shame and honor. And Jesus wrote the Bible with a shame-honor mentality because he's from that part of the world. He's not from Philadelphia. He's from there. And the shame and honor says that scripture really means is that young boy left the father and shamed the father. And it was the father's love and mercy that restored and gave him back his honor by cutting, by killing the fatted calf and giving him the ring upon his finger. Why? He gave him back his honor. 
Because he was never had to be proven guilty because he was guilty at birth. He's shamed. So we distort, we recreate based on our own eyes. Oh, we see things. Are you with me? So it's trying to kill any desire you may have or once had to know and follow Jesus at whatever cost. That's the game. Your hurts, your pains will determine whether you follow Jesus at any cost. Your prejudice, your dislikes, your hassles in church, your, 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 your disruption with the leader, your problems with your wife, your dog, your cat. It's all trying to distort whether you're going to follow Jesus Christ hmm? with all your heart. The world uses this, the big five, to stop seeing you, to stop you from seeing that God is able to pull you through whatever you're going through. There's five things. See, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you need, you will abound in every good work. That's what God's plan. So what does he do? The enemy, the world, its system is geared to discourage you. Discourage the system. It's an amazing thing, this system. And I don't, know, I don't know if the people involved in the system understand it, but I, look, I'm gonna, I hope I can get to this. I went to apply for a loan for the men's home. And like I've shared many times, I could not qualify for a taco at Taco Bell. They look at me, look at me fill up an application, they go, ah, ha, 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 ha. Why? Because they don't need you. They have the money. In fact, they don't want to give you their money. They want to keep it because they can make more money not giving it to you than to give it to you. Banks, are you with me? All of them. They don't, they don't, as a matter of fact, they don't want to give you money. So their application is geared to discourage you from getting money. It's not geared to qualify you. It's geared to disqualify you. But, but to remain a bank, they have to give you money. So in essence, if you can really see them, the, the people that are running, not the people that are, are the employers, but the people that are rolling with the money, they're saying, darn it, another one qualified. Darn it, another one got through. Darn it. Why do I know that? Because I couldn't qualify for a taco at Taco Bell. But God had favor on my life, and I knew the owner of the bank. Before I walked into his office, I had the loan. In fact, they gave me the loan, gave me the money, helped me buy the property, and called me two days later and go, hey, Al, we forgot something. What'd you forget? Can you, we're going to send you. Can you fill this application out? I said, oh, okay, I'll fill it out. He goes, oh, and do you have anything like a QuickBooks or anything that you can add to it so we can put it in your file? You know, it's got to look good. So the, the world wants to discourage you because that's the system is geared to, discourage you at every step. So don't get caught up by the world system. Don't be discouraged. You got you to trust God. God is able. So over, over the course of my life, I have discovered that everybody, leader, every person gets discouraged. Plans fail, dreams drift out of range, goals suffer setback. Not everyone responds to discouragement in the same way. Attitude dictates whether you're going to give up or keep pressing on. Attitude. Benjamin Franklin once said, the sentence which is, has most influenced my life. Some persons grumble because God placed thorns among roses. Why not thank God because he placed roses amongst thorns? Thank God. Don't be discouraged. You've got to learn how to handle discouragement. 
Christians should possess a disposition to see roses among thorns rather than complain about the thorns huh, which, which you see. We always see the thorns, but be grateful, thankful for what we have. My goodness, if God hadn't, does not give me one more thing, he's given me enough. Just the fact that we were born in this great nation, as messed up as it is, let's, let's put that down. Oh, we know we got problems, right? Huh? But this is the greatest, greatest nation that ever came upon the planet because nowhere can somebody from the gutter, from the bottom of the barrel, could raise up themselves. They were able to grab themselves by the bootstrap, put their chin up and work. And if they worked, they could get to the top. Nowhere, if you were born in the gutter in any other country, you died in the gutter. Not in this country. In fact, if you're poor, this government will educate you. This is where we're at. Huh? See, leaders huh, know how to deal with dis discouragement. They, they have the right perspective. And they, let, they never let or seldom let circumstances uh, make them or dictate the way they feel. Even in their darkest moments, they try to put hard times in proper perspective by, by distancing themselves emotionally. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's tough. But I got to pull back emotionally and really see what's going on. Where am I at? Right then, it's time to count your blessings. Every one of us in the United States have to fight to keep some weight off. Yeah, don't look around. You go to other countries, they're just fighting for some bread. Oh no, this is a great place to be. We have to have the right perspective, see the right people. See, relationships either build us up or tear us down. Surround yourself with encouragers who lend support and lift the load, not complainers. You know, you don't need complainers in the house. Don't look around. Don't look, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. Don't point. Don't point. You know, those people complain like, oh, my goodness. Complain. Here, here comes sister so-and-so. Here she goes again. She can tell me all her problems. Huh? See, most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself rather than talking to yourself. Speak to yourself. David, at his lowest point, when they had taken his family, his men were on war, and they come back, and they had lost everything. The Bible says that David went into prayer, and he said he had to encourage himself in the Lord. Imagine losing everything. He lost everything, and God says, get up, David. Get up, David. Get up and go recover everything that you lost. And you're not going to just recover what you lost. You're going to recover what you lost plus what they have. Get up. Encourage yourself in the Lord. He had to talk to himself. Hey, hey, is anybody home? You have to talk to yourself. Thoughts stream into our minds beyond our out of control. You got to put them under subjection. Discouragement. Second thing is problems. Anybody have problems? Listen, your wife is not your problem. Your husband is not your problem. So let's, 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 let's eliminate that. That's called being married. You know, I talk about marrying, being married. This ain't a marriage thing, but you understand marriage. There's always three rings to a marriage. The engagement ring, the wedding ring, and the suffering ring. That's just the way it is, okay? To get over that. Right? Just as everybody gets discouraged, everyone runs into problems. 
So when we're facing problems, adjusting your, your attitude can be a precursor to adjusting your situation. Remember, change on the outside always follows change on the inside. See, you, you, always, you want to change, you want to grow, the change is going to happen. Why? Because if you want to grow on the inside, change is going to have to happen around you. So if you're a certain way, you start acting differently, guess what? Your friends might not like the, the new you. You're not swearing no more. You're not cussing no more. You ain't chasing skirts. You ain't wanting to go to the club and shake your booty. You, you want to change all that stuff? Oh, well, your friends may not like that. Oh, you think you're all that, huh? What happened to you? Goody two-shoes? Oh, excuse me. Right? Change. It's going to happen. Huh? But people, Christians know how to handle those things. They know how to handle problems. We must fully comprehend that our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against those people who are talking about you. No, 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 no. Got to get out of the weeds. Our flight is against powers and principalities in the heavenlies. Remember, I told you the battle. The battle is to distort your vision, to distort your life. So if he got to use your friend, your family, your foe, he doesn't care what he uses. Whatever he can use to readjust what is right and wrong in your eyes, he will do. So you need to define your problem. A problem is something you can do something about. So if your problem is not something you can't do anything about, that's not your problem. Why? If it was your problem, then you could solve it. But if you cannot do anything about it, that's not your problem. Some people like problems so much, they look for other people's problems. They do. I call that people that watch soap operas. Don't you got enough problems, you know? Why are you watching all these problems on TV? It's like they'll give you, they're helping your imagination so you get more problems. Oh, look, that's a good problem. I'm going to incorporate that into my problem life. Mm -mm. Anticipate problem. A problem anticipated may just be an opportunity. Huh? A problem not anticipated is simply a problem. So you should embrace a problem as a potential for growth, an opportunity. Problems are like wake-up calls to creativity. You know, I, I write my best songs during hard times. I, don't, I, I very seldom, I don't know why, maybe they'll happen, write songs when things are going good. No. I always write my best songs when problems there. Wow, it stirs creativity. So if you stop focusing on the problem and allow your creativity thought to rise, you begin to see things. But because you're not, you're not, you're focusing on the problem, ooh, it's you, Jasmine. You, you're the problem. You, so only you. Right? Then no creativity can get into your mind because you got her on your mind. So get, no, don't focus on the problem. Allow your creativity to rise. God, what are you doing? What can I do? What's going to happen? See, problems draw, draw out creative juices. And then when you have that creativity, that's when change begins to take into shape. Boom, boom, change starts happening. Change. Anybody want to change? Who wants to change? Okay, so I don't want to hear you complain when you start going through changes. Pastor, can I have a conversation? What's wrong? I'm going through changes. Weren't you the one who rose your hand August 11th, 2019? What time is it? At 2.34. Didn't you raise your hand and say you want to change? What do you expect when you say you want to change? You're going to go through changes. Right? Change is an unavoidable, often unwelcome part of life. Change pushes us away from us from comfort. 
and refuses to let us settle. Change constantly forces us to adapt. Christians need to know how to handle change. Christians know and accept that change sparks growth. I'm changing. Oh, oh. Uh, you know, my, 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 my grandbaby, she's growing. She goes, oh, Grandpa, my, my, it hurts here. Grandpa, it hurts here. Grandpa, it hurts here. Uh, sister, you're growing. You're going through changes, right? You're growing. And then she's a girl. Because girl goes, girls, oh, I just thank God every day that I am not a woman. Because girls go through all kinds of changes internally. Right? Ow, 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 ow. I'm like, man, what's up with that girl? She got all kinds of changes on. Why? Because they're going through changes. Right? And see, now me and my grandbaby, we have a good relationship. She be telling me, you know, things like, don't tell me that. I don't want to blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear that. You know, I'm, oh, I won't get into that. Let me get over here. Right? See, well, how, do you, how do you come to terms with change? Well, I'll determine this. Change will always be an ongoing part of life. It will. Alfred P. Sloan said that success does not lie in your ability to adjust to change. It lies in your ability to anticipate change. When we see change coming, we, we can move along with it rather than being blindsided by it. Make a commitment to pay the price for change. Along life's journey, you must make sacrifice and stay abreast of change. It's there. If change doesn't cost you, it's got to hurt. If it doesn't cost you, then it's not real change. Change has to cost. That's like the criteria. That, that's the definition of change. It costs. If it doesn't cost, you'll remain the same. Because you'll think all you had to do is be you to get what you got. No. Decide. Then you can decide what you're not willing to take. There's some areas you just don't change. Okay. Refuse to be changed or swayed from your convictions of faith and values. That's important. Victor Outreach, I've been preaching this same message for 34 years, reaching every industry of the world. We've had all kinds of preachers. You know, I had a, an offer to go to Texas. They're going to give me a parsonage, a church building, and money, a salary. And at that time when I was offered, I hadn't seen a salary since the last time I ate salad. <laughs> salary? What's that? Offered it to me. I said, no, I ain't going. Why? Because I've been called to go to every industry of the world. There are certain things that I just don't change. This is what I do. This is who I am. And anybody else that tries to get me off this track is of the devil. I don't care if it has a steeple on it. Because I know what God has called me to do. See, the, per the proof that you learn your lesson is change. Samuel, Samuel Chan. I think he's like catching up to Miles Monroe, one of my favorite authors. Sam Chan says this, change only happens when our level or desire or actual desperation rises above the level of our fears. That's when change happens. Change happens real quick when you're desperate. When I came to the Lord, I was desperate. And because I was desperate, I was ready for a change. Some people come to Jesus and they, they just ain't desperate enough. I was talking to one of the brothers and they go, what's wrong with this generation? They, they don't know desperation. They've been too coddled. Mama's boys. They have no understanding. They're not desperate enough. When I came to Jesus Christ, I was desperate. Ah, God, I need to change. Please change me. Because if you don't change me, I'm going to kill somebody. That was my thought. <laughs> 
I wanted to kill somebody and, and take, take as many people with me. I said, you better do something because this, this homeboy is going nuts. And God changed my life. Desperation. Because uh, you have to overcome certain things. Number four, fear. Fear has the ability to exaggerate itself. And then it begins to spread throughout our life. Fear. Oh, I'm afraid. It's like when you're afraid of the room. There's no monsters. It's dark. No, but there's monsters. Not just little monsters, big monsters. That's no monster. That's just Leo hiding in the corner. No monster. See, when fear grips you, we're frozen and incapable of action. Worrisome thoughts fill our mind and, and with distractions. And then we're powerless to be productive because fear has got a hold of us. We have to handle fear. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. Without fear, faith is impossible. You say, I want faith. You can't have faith unless you can handle fear. Why? Because your faith has to be tested. And when God takes you to the valley of the shadow of death, when you have to be tested for what you say, you think, you know, I know Jesus. Well, let's see, dude. When you get tested, you're going to face great amounts of fear. What are you going to do? Run like a shasha, wrap your tail between your legs and start barking down the alleyway? You're going to have to face fears. You're going to have to face it. I had to do it. Everybody has to do it. Jesus, the Son of God, gets baptized by John the Baptist in the river. The Bible says that the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son. Do as he says, as, a, as the Holy Spirit, as a dove, came and fell upon him. The only time in Scripture where you see the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in operation at the same time. The Bible says immediately after he went out to the desert to be tempted. Was led, not by the devil, was led not by his mother-in-law, was led by the Holy Spirit of God to be tempted by the devil. Oh, my goodness. Huh? So we're called to reach people that are one foot from hell. See, fear has the ability to take over. You have to learn how to fix your fears. Discover the foundation of fears. See, most often, fears are not factual. They're just feelings. There's no fact behind your fear. You know, I always talk about people afraid to fly. The most safest form of transportation, I understand it, when you're 30,000 feet in the air, the plane goes, like, hey, this ain't right. Listen, it is right. That's normal. Huh? That's okay. But you have a greater chance of slipping this afternoon in your shower and breaking your neck and dying than you do of ever dying in an airplane. And that is a fact. But fears are not factual. They say, I don't care. I, don't, I just don't fly. I don't care what you say. No, 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 I'm not going to fly. Fears. See, and I use that example because you all understand it. Because, yeah, it, it is a little white knuckling. I, I, I've been in some white knuckles. I've been in three aborted landings. It's like the devil trying to test me every time I fly. Three aborted landings. Now, you don't know what an aborted landing is. God bless you. I do. Sam's been flying all his life. He's an aircraft mechanic, and he's never been in one. I hate you, right? 
I've been in three. I'm landing, gonna land it in Las Vegas, right? We were supposed to go into Denver, but the storm was so bad, they diverted us, and we went to Las Vegas. We're gonna land in Las Vegas. We're going to Las Vegas. This pilot had never been in Las Vegas. Never landed in Las Vegas. I didn't know this until after the fact. So we're landing in Las Vegas. I'm looking at the people, and I can see them. Oh, hey, I can even wave. Oh, the boom, we pull up. He pulls up in the middle of the landing. We had actually touched ground, we went back up. I go up and I'm listening. Nothing. I go, well, there's no boom, we're okay. Everybody's screaming, ah! I mean, screaming, it was crazy. I'm listening, no boom, boom. He comes and he makes a big old U-turn and comes back around. Then he gets on the, the PA. Well, sorry, folks, kind of overran the runway. So if anybody has a right to be afraid, it's me. Well, that's not bad. Come to Colorado Springs twice. Twice. Me and Johnny and Anthony was with me. And I'm reading my Bible. I'm cool. Johnny's here. And I don't know. Anthony's right there next to us. And all of a sudden, the plane goes, move wrong. It moved this way. And I, my head popped up. We can't do that. And Johnny looks at me. I go, we missed the runway. Johnny goes, what do you mean we missed the runway? He, she needs to pull up, she needs to pull up, she needs to pull up. And boom, as soon as I said that, she pulled up. Why? Because this way is cool. That's okay, you're going up and down, but you're going straight, right? But when you go this way, you're going, what, 190 miles an hour coming down? You're going 190 miles an hour. You come, we can't fathom 190 miles. But when you're going 190 miles, you're like this, you're down the way. He's 100 yards off the runway by then. Easy, 100 yards, a football field. And I go, uh-oh, we're in trouble. I'm thinking, this, this pilot, I didn't know it was a female at the time. I said, if this pilot don't pull up, we're in trouble. And she pulled up. Thank you, Jesus. As long as the plane's in the air, I'm cool. We're, as long as we're flying, we're cool. We're cool. I went, and, and then Johnny says, you began to pray, Pop. Well, well yeah, I began to pray. <laughs> and we're dealing with fear here. Anthony, look at me. He, all of a sudden, Anthony and Johnny got holy. Oh, limited heavenly father. Thou art great in my eyes. I mean, they got real holy. I go, oh, look at these guys. So we make a big U-turn. And then we landed. I go, well, that's a trip. My second aborted landing. About four months ago, I'm landing in Colorado Springs. Same thing. Same thing, but it was bumpy weather. Bum, 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 bum. I don't mind bump. Then when we turn like this, I go, whoa, this ain't right. Well, got this, you got to pull up, man. She pulled up. It was a he at this time. Pull him up. Oh. And he pulled, makes a big U-turn, and we land. So I'm getting ready to land. The guy next to me, he looks at me, and I go to the guy. I go, you know, that's the third aborted landing I've been in. And he looked at me with his strange eyes, and he goes, remind me to never get on a plane with you. <laughs> that's not my fault. Discover the foundation of your fear. Huh? Accept fear as a price for progress. Amen? Amen. Huh? Whenever we venture to new territory, we might be met with fear of the unknown. We must be willing to step outside of our comfort zone and face the fear of the unfamiliar. What's going to happen? I don't know. To feed the right emotion, starve the wrong one. Don't let fear dominate you. Starve or uh, feed the, the right one that God is faithful. God has a call in your life. Huh? Nothing formed against you shall prosper. If God, if Jesus is for you, who can be against you? Begin to feed the right emotion. Stir yourself up. We may never eliminate fear, but we sure can dominate it. 
When fear comes up, I say, oh, you punk? Who gave you the right to get over here? You slap you, man. That's how I treat fear. I treat it like a, what, like a redhead mule. I was going to say redheaded stepchild, but there might be a redheaded stepchild here. I don't want to get nobody mad at me, amen? Right, get over here, punk. I don't, I don't let fear come and mess with me. We can't let it dominate you. You have to be optimistic. And lastly, failure. Failure. I have seen many people with self, that have self-sabotaging traits stemming from an unhealthy perspective towards failure. Huh? They live with this sense, this nagging sense of impending failure. You know those people that they always feel that I'm going to fail eventually. Eventually it's going to fail, so why, why even try? I've heard people, why, why accept the Lord to my life? Why give my life to Jesus? I'm just going to backslide. They always have this sense of, this, of a pending failure. No, my friend, that's a lie from the devil. That's what the devil wants to do in your life. Don't let him have domination in your life. Hmm? Some people don't want to take risks. By sticking to the safe path, you assure yourself of failing to, the, to make a significant impact. Oh, I just want to be safe. Still, others allow failures just to simply derail them. They see failure as a personal indictment rather than a step in the ongoing process of growth. In other words, they're so afraid to fail because they don't, want, they don't want people to say, well, I'm a failure. Listen, failure is a step towards success. It is not an end all. It's just a step, a bump in the road. We're all going to face failure. It's okay to fail. It's only not okay to give up. Got to keep going. Got to keep fighting. Hmm? See, in many ways, success is determined by your failures. Growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. So in, inevitably, growth equals pain. That's how it is. Let me say it again. Growth equals change. Change equals loss. Loss equals pain. So, growth equals pain. Huh? Samuel Chan also said, difficulties, oh, I like this. Difficulties are God's curriculum for those who want to excel. So it's not easy. The more you can handle, the more you'll do. The less you handle, the less you can do. So we have to move, change your vocabulary. Turn a setback into a springboard for greater effectiveness. If something went wrong, check it out. Evaluate it and become better for it. That's okay. Warren Bennis interviewed 70 of our nation's top performers. Warren Bennis is a leadership guru, one of the prof profound leadership writers in the planet. And he, he interviewed 70 of top CEOs and leaderships in the country. None of them use words like failure to describe their mistake, not one. Instead, they refer to learning experiences, tuition paid, detours, opportunities for growth. You got to change your vocabulary. You're not a failure. That difficulty, that setback was your opportunity for growth. God, God has you in training. He ain't done with you yet. Huh? You're not dead. Is anybody here dead? 
You're not dead. He ain't done with you. You're in the university of the Holy Ghost. And that's what he uses difficulties to rise you up. When you're going through, keep a sense of humor. Give yourself some room for mistake. Laugh at your failures rather than languish and, and wallow in them. Make failure a learning experience. Huh? That way you never walk away from a failure empty-handed. You have something from it. Each failure comes with a lesson attached to it as my piano player comes up. And then we can have an invaluable principle from each failure. So these, all these things, difficulties, problems, fear, failure, these are all things geared to change how you see things. Because the way you see things will determine how far you go in life. Hmm? Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything, you know. I'm reading out the Message Bible. Ephesians 3.20. God can do anything, you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Hmm? So how, do you, how you see things depends on how you handle life. Everybody gets discouraged. Everybody has problems. We all want to resist change. Everybody from time to time feels fear. Everybody will experience failure. That's life. But it's how you take it, how you look at it that matters. You are something. God created you, formed you perfectly. You're just the way you're supposed to be. And don't let anybody change it. Huh? Success is not measured. Orison Sweep said this. Success is not measured by what you accomplish, but by the opposition you have encountered and the courage with which you have maintained the struggle against overwhelming odds. Hmm? 